This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Toys R Us just announced that it was filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection to help alleviate some of its debt issues. The company owes $4.9 billion with large debt amounts due later this year and next. The company says it won't be closing any stores for now, but filing for bankruptcy does usually lead to restructuring of some kind. We take a look at this move with Dan Raff, Associate Professor of Management here at the Wharton School, and also entrepreneur Mark Rosenberg, who is also, uh, who I should say was an Executive Vice President of Marketing for Hasbro and Tiger Electronics. Dan, Mark, great to have you both with us today. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, Dan, your reaction to, to Toys R Us filing Chapter 11? Well, the first thought that seems to come to people's minds is that this is all about Amazon um, and the fate of big box retailing. But I'm inclined to think that the central line of the story is actually much more to do with leveraged buyouts um, and loading debt onto operating companies. That's my basic intuition. Uh, I'd, of course, defer to the judgment of somebody who knows this company from the inside. (laughs) Mark, you've done uh, some work in the past with Toys R Us. What's your uh, reaction? Yeah, we've, uh, going back to the 90s and stuff, when we launched a product like Furby there, um, I would tend to agree. I, I think the easy out is to blame Amazon, but this, you know, this has been going on for a long time. And the reality is Toys R Us still is the only showcase globally for, for toys. And um, the bigger problem is their lack of ability to really bring in traffic over the past few years. And, you know, to everyone's point, they're going to have a tough time competing on price and online experience. But the fact that they have these huge showcases and uh, just haven't done enough with them is is seemingly a, a bigger problem, as well as the consolidation and stuff like that. Mark, I'll give you my firsthand experience with having a, a 10-year-old and two 8-year-olds. I can't tell you the last time I went into a Toys R Us store. And my, my story is probably similar to a lot of people in the country. Well, you sure there's the convenience factor of you can find usually the hottest toys, the most popular toys, or the biggest promoted toys at the Targets and the Walmart. And when you look, Walmart has roughly 120 million people a week going through their stores. So call it a third of the population. And uh, unless you have something that you're looking for that's a little bit more obscure that you know you'll find at Toys R Us, from a convenience standpoint and a price standpoint, you know, people are likely just going to buy it where they are every week. I've read comments in the, in the last day or so, Mark, that, that said that this move to file Chapter 11 was inevitable. You agree? It's something, honestly, I've been hearing about since they sold the company in 2005. And um, a, lot of, a lot of people have thought in the past that it's been part of a tactic to refinance the debt, to get the people that own the company to, uh, to restructure things. And it got to the point where it's, it's kind of been talked about so long that at some point it had to happen. And my understanding is their payments are due in 2018 and 2019. Yeah. But, you know, to have to make a, a $2.9 billion debt payment um, <laughs> and keep operating the way it was just is unfathomable. I can add to this that my acquaintances in the restructuring bar um, have long expected this. 
Why, I mean, when you think about the sale of this, you know, going back, what, a decade or so, Dan, I mean, obviously the the, the marketplace for toys was a little bit different. Uh, but even with even with the shift, I mean, when you think about the online capabilities of, of Toys R Us, they really haven't shown a ton to be able to to stand up with the Amazons or, or the uh, or, or the Walmarts or Targets of the world, whatever that percentage of component is to the overall operation. Um, no, that's that's certainly true, um, and maybe it it puts this in a a bit of context to recall that the the buyout took place as I as I recall in two thousand five. The financial, I mean, the structure of the funds um, that put up the money for the buyout um, generally does not envisage. Uh, holding properties they buy for anything like the period of time um, that they've held on uh, Toys R Us. And I think the proper interpretation of that is that either the company was not what they thought it was, uh, or the circumstances really have changed their expectations um, about uh, uh, how the company uh, could function as a revenue generating and a profit generating machine um, were just off. Um, it's absolutely true, so far as I can make out, that they haven't uh, invested in or been nearly as effective in investing in online capabilities um, as they might. On the other hand, I don't think there are many product categories um, uh, in which you could buy the stuff from Amazon, but um, uh, being able to offer it um, in a, a bricks-and-mortar setting um, with uh, an, an excellent selection you can actually look at, you can have your kids there and be confident that you're not getting them something they're not going to like, and where there's a staff that can help you figure out uh, strategies and selections and so forth. These can all be competitively valuable things, and it's not as if the real estate is systematically in the wrong place. Um, yeah, I think you hit on a couple key key points, and the, the first being when they bought the, the company, they thir- certainly thought it was something. The, the KKRs and the Baines and, and those guys, my understanding is they don't hold things nearly as long. Right. A lot of it was, you know, seemed to have been a real estate play. Um, yeah. And then things certainly changed. That was in, in my limited finance side. I'm a marketing guy. But, you know, the talk was always that they thought that there was this great real estate play, and then everything turned south. Um, the other thing is... Yeah, they can't have been expected to, to have anticipated the Great Recession. I mean, that's not really their line of work. Exactly. Well, and the other point that you make, we call showcasing, which is a lot of people going in to see, to, to, to get their hands on toys, to try toys, to look for selection... But as soon as, you know, the iPhone phone really took off, which was around the same time, before they knew it, people were looking on their phone to see if they could find a better price online. Right. And then they'd head to the car, they'd drive home, and they'd go buy it. Dan- certainly their Times Square store, which was the greatest yeah. showcase outside of FAO Schwartz, was just that. People would go in from around the world, look at everything, and then turn around, sometimes even standing in the store, and buy it online. 
Dan, the, the real estate part of it, I, I think, is interesting because, as you said, you know, you can't really foresee the Great Recession coming their way. But with all of the properties they have, and obviously a lot of them are big, big properties, and, and uh, a lot of them also are partnered up with their Babies R Us brand, they've got a ton of real estate. And I wonder, could they have foreseen the concerns surrounding real estate and people not wanting to go to stores as often? Could they have foreseen that back? Back in 2005. Something that has always puzzled me about this general question is why it is that the big box locations, when the big boxes wanted to either have smaller stores or um, get out of specific locations, didn't end up a year or two later um, as smaller footprint properties. Right. Um, and I you can you you can imagine lease terms that would make this very awkward for the big box companies, but on the other hand, you can easily imagine entrepreneurially minded um, mall owners thinking in this way. Um, and mall ownership in the United States is, as I understand it, really fairly concentrated. It's not um, a mom and pop, uh, uh, very dispersed ownership uh, uh, sort of industry. I mean, you know, the the people who were behind the B. Dalton bookstore chain um, were Dayton Hudson now operating as Target. And I think that part of the point was they were constantly having negotiations with the relatively small number of big deal mall operators wanting to get their department stores um, into malls. And they thought that if they had a bookstore chain, they could make a better they could make a better pitch for it. Yeah. It's an interesting question whether there's an element of entrepreneurial failure or at least entrepreneurial nerve on, on the part of these uh, relatively small number, uh, this relatively small number of mall operators not biting the bullet on the, the future of big box stores and trying to figure out how to fill up their real estate. I've Ma never heard an interview with one of those people that really addressed this subject. It's really quite an interesting question, I think. Mark? Well, and strategically, they, first of all, my understanding is they own very, I wouldn't say very few, but relatively few, like 300 or so of their stores still. So they've okay. gotten out of a lot of the real estate. They've constantly been redoing leases and stuff. They've also tried pop-up stores where at Christmas now you'll see stores yeah. open for a couple months. And the big box guys as well have tried smaller footprints, especially in the urban areas. The, the challenge with Toys R Us has been a lot of the times, if you look at some of their management changes and stuff, a lot of them are great toy people and stuff. They've had numerous strategies that they've come up with. And my personal impression is they've done very little once they come up with a strategy to give it time to execute. Stuff doesn't happen in three months that when you're changing a store layout for a 100,000-square-foot store or something, and then you're looking at the next model eight months later, it doesn't really seem that you've given it a chance. Either you didn't think it through the first time, or you weren't really committed to it, or people change and say, no, we're not going to go with that. So a lot of it has been this constant changing and revising and not really giving things a chance and promoting the stuff that you, you've given it, you know, a chance to really stick with it and see if it's going to work. But Mark, Mark, do you know if the talk in the industry is that that's to do with strictly managerial decision-making or whether it's to do with pressure um, uh, from the owners or financial interests? 
I think I think you're honest yeah. with me. I think it's a little bit of everything. There's been huge man- management changes that come and go very quickly. Um, Toys R Us really hasn't had the pressure from Wall Street because it's largely you know just bonds now um, and stuff like that. But there's to your point before, if the investors were looking for the quick out and stuff, there's a lot of pressure to get in and out. We're joined on the phone by Mark Rosenberg, uh, entrepreneur who is uh, also uh, executive vice president of marketing for Hasbro and Tiger Electronics. Dan Raff, uh, associate professor of management here at Wharton. We're talking about Toys R Us and what they are headed for right now uh, as they file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. You mentioned executives. I'll I'll throw uh, Dave Brandon's name uh, out there, Mark. Uh, He's the CEO right now. So how do you think this impacts? Him. And for people who may have heard that name before, uh, Dave Brandon was the former CEO of Domino's for a while. He spent uh, time as the athletic director at Michigan, University of Michigan for a while. So where does he stand right now? I, personally, I think he's got the greatest job in the world because this has been something that's been coming for so long, and he's got a bit of a, of a clean slate. Now, that doesn't come without huge pressure to perform, but they're this cloud that's been hanging them over them for years with, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? has now happened as of Monday. They've got, you know, not unlimited funds, but from my understanding, depending on who you're asking, anywhere from 2 to $3 billion of, of cash now to clean things up. And if they come up with the right strategy, which in my opinion is we've got to find a way to, to bring people into the store more than just the two, you know, the month or so at Christmas. Right. And that means doing things like birthday parties and, and getting involved in some of the e-sport movement that's coming and doing tournaments and games. You know, they have an incredible vendor base to partner with. It's a question of if they're going to commit and, and, themselves. And they're the only really large-scale come in and f- get the feel of the cloth venue for, for their industry, right? hundred percent. You're right, Dan, and and which gives them a huge opportunity. It's a question of with you know with some investment, and believe me, they ask their vendors for money for everything, whether it's end caps, whether it's promotions online. So the the question is if they can find the right way to partner with their vendors, and really partner then there's no reason they can't still get in. And I refuse to believe the argument that kids aren't into toys and playing anymore. Sure, yeah. There have been changes, but younger kids still play with toys, and Toys R Us certainly sells video games and stuff like that as well. They have to embrace those assets and really start to bring kids in for afternoon contests, for weekend contests and stuff like that. And they have a huge opportunity to, to still you know, turn things around. So maybe a helpful way of framing what Mark just said is to say that when you pick up the newspaper and you read bankruptcy and Chapter 11 and, yep. you know, scare headlines and so forth, the kind of metaphor that that leaps to mind is like a cruise ship that runs onto a rock. But I don't think that's the right way to think about this. This was a way for um, uh, Toys R Us management to get out of an element of their cost structure that was really constraining their ability to do the right strategic things uh, for the business. It's a way, this is what Chapter 11 is for. It's a way of buying them time to reorganize their operations by getting them out of cash payment, giving them uh, a serious chance um, of uh, seriously renegotiating cash obligations that are impeding their 
Well, it's it's funny you mentioned that, Dan and Mark, because I, it's a friend of mine on Facebook posted a story about Toys R Us getting ready to file for bankruptcy, and they were basically taking the opinion, okay, Toys R Us is going to close. Well, I had to kind of walk them back from that a little bit. So it's the perception of, of you know, Toys R Us is, is done. It's over with. We, you know, we're not going to have it as an entity anymore, Mark, that you have to kind of walk people back from a little bit. Uh, you're, you're dead on. I mean, and I, what happened over the weekend, last weekend, I started call, getting calls from friends that said, hey, I had a friend that went into a Toys R Us and they didn't honor his gift card. And that <laughs> made it very real for consumers like yeah to start looking up what's happening and they, you know, there's been all this buzz about them, but there hasn't been clear communication as to what it means for the consumer. I think it may have been a little premature for them to come out until they filed and explain it. I think it's incumbent on them now to, you know, to really, as Dan said, make clear, Hey, we we're working on a plan to come out of this and we're going to be bigger and better than ever. So then, and this is, by the way, a subtle point in what Mark just said. The people with the gift cards are creditors of the company. Sure. And um, and uh, in bankruptcy proceedings, the, what's going on is the creditors' claims are being reorganized, and that's why they got the answer that they did. But it didn't have anything to do with whether the company wasn't in business and selling stuff. Well, and here it gets even funnier because I actually, before we were, I knew we were talking today, I actually went into my local Toys R Us yesterday. And I said, uh, you know, what's going on with the gift card stuff? And they said, our computers have been down since the hurricane. Something happened to our systems. And who, I, you know, I don't know what they're explaining to their store people and stuff. <laughs> but again, the communication, the, the timing of that was very suspect. And yeah. it seems there has to be clear and honest communication with consumers. So there's not panic, especially guys. We're at, you know we're almost at October first. Yeah, we're we're getting into you know the heyday, and this is their time to shine. And if their store employees aren't up to speed on their top products and what's going on with the consumer and taking care of the consumer, then they have a much bigger problem that's going to come. I but think, right now is their chance to turn things. I think I can imagine a world in which this is actually a piece of of cunning strategy. Um, on the part of the company, because if the creditors want the company to be valuable in the future so that they can get you know, a more substantial uh, rather than uh, a less substantial uh, return on their doubtless somewhat now devalued investments, um, they really need the company to be firing on all cylinders during the Christmas season. So it produces an element, the timing will produce an element of pressure. Uh, on them to not make too much trouble, I should think. Mark, let me let me ask you uh, because I mean, as you uh, and Dan both mentioned, Toys R Us, you, you want to try and get them away from being that one month a year store or or two month a year store with the with the run up to the holidays. Uh, what do you think then the Babies R Us brand can either do or not do for potentially that rebuild? Okay, so here's first of all. Where Baby, Babies R Us got hurt years ago was when Walmart started selling diapers, and that's years ago, yeah. and that excuse has long grown tired. What Babies R Us really has the chance to do, the, the toy, toy buying audience has gone younger and younger. So they can really serve as an introduction to the brand, but again, it comes with not just having all the, the best products, because that's where they, they really can destroy Walmart, Target, and Amazon. They have more SKUs than anyone because they have the bigger footprint. 
but it's how you showcase them and how you train your employees to know how to demonstrate them. And when I went into the store yesterday, half of the TriMe packages, the batteries were dead. Half of the yeah. um, half of the displays weren't functioning. And that's the kind of stuff that'll that'll destroy you. If you don't have your employees making sure displays are working and making sure things are batteried, you're going to be in big trouble. And they've always made it really the responsibility of the vendor, the manufacturer, to make sure that their displays are working when they've got plenty of employees in the store to check those daily. We as manufacturers can't afford to have someone go into that store every day to make sure that a display is batteried properly. They've got these people stocking the stores and stuff. They should be making sure things are working before they open those doors every morning. Dan? Oh, that sounds exactly right. It sounds as if um, under the circumstances of the announcement, it, this kind of this kind of execution, re- ordinary basic retail execution, is going to be completely crucial for the company's survival. Eight, They've got to present a working face um, to customers. 844-942-7866 is the number to uh, join us with your comments about Toys R Us. 844-942-7866. Or if you like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. It is interesting, Mark, that sometimes it is the simplest stuff that can really turn a consumer off and have them walk out the door with making a purchase. Something as simple as not having the displays able to run properly, you know, because you want to see some of these items at times actually work to see if they're if they're worth of your investment. And if they don't have that, you know, th- that's a basic element that that seemingly they are losing out on. Well, it'll take someone that came in to see how something's working turning around and walking and leaving the store to, to, to get it across. And to your point, you know, we always grew up calling it blocking and tackling. You know, the running back gets the credit, but the guy that opens the hole for him is the guy that really delivers the goods. And, um, and that's, it's just imperative at this point that that start happening. And simple things, I mean, this, you know, will, we this will end up being a test of whether the senior manager, the real yeah. merchants, the real, the, the real retailing executives, not just finance guys buying and selling assets, but they understand how to, how to um, organize and uh, organize store shopping experiences and, and mobilize staff to make sure that the right things are, are in place and happening. Well, and think about it, guys. Ten years ago, we were pitching them ideas on how to host birthday parties on weekends where they, if they did ten birthday parties and mm. had demonstrations of toys, and then at the end of the party, you know, when my kids were little, every kid got a goodie bag at the end of the party. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of handing the kid a goodie bag, hand him a $5 Jeffrey gift card, mm. yeah. and when mom and dad come to pick that kid up, I'll bet you dimes to dollars they're not going to spend $5. They're going to be tugging on mom's purse saying, hey, can we go use this card? And before you know it, they're spending 20 or $30. And they just never bought those opportunities. They never, you know, they always knew more. And um, it, it bummed us out as, as, as manufacturers at the time that they were constantly asking for money, but the return on that cash really wasn't there. And it got more and more frustrating every time they would ask for, for support to know that it was just going to, to pay for other stuff. It wasn't really going to help sell our goods. That's interesting you mentioned that, Mark, because I I wouldn't have thought about that for a while, but but make Toys R Us a destination. Make it an, ex- yeah. make it an experience rather than just a place to, like you're walking through a warehouse. 
Mark, can you think remember about what you've got? You've got esports coming. You've got birthdays. You've got you know fashion shows. There's all sorts of things you can be doing. Mark, can you remember back to the period um, of the of the buyout and the you know the immediate aftermath of that? Was the Toys R Us management that was in place a year two years after the buyout? Um, were they? Um, operating in the what can we cut mode, or were they were they were they being um, uh, more in the way of, of, of building um, a franchise? You... It was a lot of toy people, so they, you know they had some of the right people there and stuff. There was a huge amount of pressure at that time, Dan, to compete online, yeah. and it took over a huge amount of the focus. It was, you know, pardon my French. Holy crap! All these people are destroying us online, going cheaper. We have to throw everything we have at that. Mark, and they changed their online experience. They made it, they tried to make it fun. And it, and it, you know, the moms were online shopping. It wasn't really the kids. Yeah. So the kids weren't even seeing the stuff. They were spending all this money doing stuff like that. And then you had, and you'll see this time of year, you'll see every retailer doing these hot toy lists. And mm-hmm. it's become this competition to see who's going to release, release their hot toy list first. Yeah. Um, but they really, you know, they really were struggling with everything was thrown against the online experience at that point. And the stores, that's when they started changing formats and doing it 50 times and stuff. And they never really gave things a chance to percolate and, and come to fruition. Mark, it's a classic yeah. mistake trying to imitate your competitors rather than figuring out what you can do that will appeal to your customers and you can do distinctively well. Mark, uh, with your strong suit. And in yeah. this case, it's stores. You have these physical stores. Use them. Mark, by the way, it's satellite radio, so holy crap works. You you, you don't you don't have to you don't have, sorry about that. You don't no. It's it's okay. We can we can say that on satellite radio. That See, was gentle for me. Right, exactly. Well, don't go too much heavier than that. Uh, <laughs> greatly appreciate your time today, Mark. Thank you very much, Dan. As always, great to have you on the show. Always thank you, pleasure. gentlemen. You guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Dan Raff uh, of the Wharton School, Mark Rosenberg, uh, former uh, EVP of marketing for Hasbro and uh, Tiger Electronics. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.